So far as these attacks are aimed at me personally, it is, I can assure you, sir, a misconception if it be supposed I feel the venom of the darts. Within me I have a consolation which provides an antidote against their utmost malignancy, rendering my mind in the retirement I have long panted after perfectly tranquil. The words of President George Washington. And this is The Guardians of the Republic. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University Poll, and my co-host is Ian Kahn from the TV series Turn, Washington Spies. On this episode of the podcast, we look at the unique challenges faced by the Republic this week. We will cover other news stories in our Hot Take segment and wrap with our Guardian of the Week. But first, Patrick, do you have any thoughts or news on polls? Uh, Not a lot here, so I just want to give an update on where we stand on support for impeachment across the country. And I'm using right now the average that is compiled by 538.com. And this is the question on impeach and remove the president from office. And right now, the average across all the polls, depending on how they ask the question, is about 48%. Uh, That's about a point lower than where it was right after the Ukraine news broke uh, at the beginning of this month. Well, if it's 48 percent, and oftentimes there are some that are undecided, is it 52 to 48 or is it 48 um, with a a lower number for against it? It's it's about 48, 46 and a half right now. Yeah. Right. So it's it's very close. Um, So it's it was 49 to 46. Uh, earlier in October, and it's just narrowed a little bit. But, you know, in most cases, we look at these things and say, one point here, one point there, it doesn't matter a lot. But of course, what we know from the Trump presidency is we only see small movements. And so we tend to really uh, make a lot out of uh, small movements. So, So we'll see what happens, because obviously, the news of the day is that we now have a public uh, impeachment inquiry. And so that's going to change, possibly, how people look at this. Yeah, and we're we're actually recording this right after the vote to make sure that we got it right <laughs> that <laughs> that the vote did indeed pass, which it did. Um, the the thing that comes back to me though is even though it's at that number forty eight to forty six or wherever it is exactly, uh, is that those numbers are going to change uh, right. with these public hearings that are coming up. I, is my belief that when people start seeing and hearing with their own eyes and ears uh, what has been happening, there, there's there there could very well be a shift. And and um, here's some uh, little. Little breaking news here. Give you a little uh, insight. Um, we'll have a Monmouth University poll, new poll next week, on uh, what people think of impo- impeachment now. So we'll, we'll get a we'll get a look at that. But before we talk about the the vote itself and what's going on with the inquiry, how about if we talk about uh, what was the I think the big news prior to that, which was uh, the testimony of Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. Yeah, so that, think of that brings us into how is the Republic being challenged this week? And Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman is a unique witness so far in this process because he's the first witness, I believe, who was actually on the phone call. And he was expressing his concerns, not just based on the phone call, but in earlier, at the earlier time, earlier in July, he made reference to what was going on and actually went to his superiors and said, we have a problem with the way that this is being handled. Look at that. He is a unique 
human being. And he did something that was very similar to what George Washington did when he went to the Constitutional, um, not, not the Constitutional Convention, but when um, back in 1775, when the, we were deciding whether we were going to start the war and whether we were going to build an army, General Washington went to that and w received the generalship, if that's a word, uh, and he came in full military dress, mm -hmm. which is also what Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman did because he is a army veteran hero, Purple Heart recipient, um, and he, you know, he, he's maybe the most compelling witness that we've had so far, though weekly we come up with a new one. Uh, yes, I, th I think uh, extremely compelling. His twin brother is also a lieutenant colonel in the Army, also working in national intelligence. I think he works at the National Security Agency. Uh, and, and those brothers, uh, if, it, I may, if, if I may interrupt briefly, those brothers were featured in 1985 in a Ken Burns documentary talking about coming to America as immigrants. Yeah, they're uh, eight years old in that. Yeah, and they're, they're with this wonderful older Ukrainian lady who's smoking a cigarette, holding a cigarette, and the two of them are speaking like young American boys. Uh, and talking about how their mother had passed away and they moved um, from Ukraine to Italy and then to the United States of America. So now we're going to get into next is what Fox News' response to uh, to Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman's yeah. testimony was. So, was so, you ha so you have this guy stand up um, who says that he had problems from the start. Um, he tried to take it up the chain um, in different ways. Uh, to express his concern, he tried to uh, am amend the rough transcript to be more accurate. A couple of things were left out of there, right. which don't materially <laughs> change what we now believe about nope. it. But but they I, were I interesting. They were interesting. Uh, no, let me say, yeah, maybe materially is the wrong word. I, I think it doesn't change the, the idea that. What, Don, what we felt Donald Trump was doing, which was putting pressure on uh, the Ukrainian president to uh, uh, look into a political enemy. Um, but a couple of the details, such as the actual company being uh, mentioned. But also, and also, you talked about it at the time. What are yeah. in these ellipses? Like, what, what, there are these ellipses in there. What, what are in there? And what we learned from Vindman was that there was a lot more in there that had been pulled out. And that this is what had been passed along. The President Trump is constantly talking about it being this perfect phone call. And Vindman was like, no, wait a minute. There was a lot more said on this phone call, which was one of the reasons why he started speaking out. He still is working in the Trump administration right now. Like, yeah. he went to Congress. He gave his testimony. Then he went back to work. Right. Uh, he, he's a, he, he is an American hero and likely will be talked about later in the show when we get to our Guardian of the Week. But uh, as you were alluding to earlier, uh, the reaction to him from the Trump-supporting uh, media was not kind. Here we have a U.S. national security official who is advising Ukraine while working inside the White House, apparently against the president's interest, and usually they spoke in English. Isn't that kind of an interesting angle on this story? I find that astounding, and you know, some people might call that espionage. Oh, and, and by the way, that voice at the end, so that was Laura Ingram on Fox. Right. The voice at the end was John Yu, um, who 
wrote the infamous a, torture memo. Uh, during and he's a Bush professor years. at Cal Berkeley. Yes. Uh, which is interesting that he would be a professor at Cal Berkeley. Uh, the interesting thing that caught my ear that time was Laura Ingram talking about going against the president's plans, right? Well, if the president's plans are corrupt and he's doing things that are impeachable, removable, and, and dishonest, it is very positive that he right. is standing up and doing something and trying to stop what's happening. Right. You got to remember what, what Vindman's opposition to there, what, what his concern about this was, not just simply that you know, uh, the president was asking a foreign leader to investigate an American citizen, which was part of it. But he also said by putting the leader of the Ukraine in that position could yes. destabilize Ukraine, which would then lead to a destabilization of U.S. national security. So and he also, saw it as a direct national security threat. He also saw it as the uh, an opportunity where Ukraine would no longer get bipartisan support, right. which he, Ukraine has had for the past long period of time. And that if all of a sudden Zelensky comes out and takes a shot at Biden or says, I'm going to start investigating Biden, all of a sudden the Democrats in Congress who are in charge of appropriating this money to them and exactly. voting on this money are going to start saying, well, you know, maybe we're not going to support Ukraine. So all of a sudden then we have, we, we've lost all of Ukraine. And then Russia just keeps marching east, west rather, not east. They don't want to march east, they want to march west. And, and that's what he was standing up for. And, he, and going back, he showed up in his full military dress, which I thought was just aces, man. You know, he's being, called a, he's being called a traitor on Fox News. And he's saying, no, I'm not a traitor. I, I'm, I'm an this is one of This hero. is one of those cases where, where, the, where his rationale, his motivation couldn't have been any more clearly linked to national security. And he gave a very clear explanation about why. He was worried about these dominoes falling. That would actually lead to, to national security. And he gets raked over the coals by these talking heads. By state uh, TV, not uh, talking yeah. heads, by almost by state TV. Yeah. And, and a, so when we get to how the republic is being challenged this week, the, the humor and joy in which Laura Ingram was bringing to this segment yeah. and sort of talking about reveling it in, in this it, way. Reveling in it. Yes. You know, is just, just, sort of saying, oh, we've got something interesting here that, that sort of shows that this isn't real. A further, a further, you know, breaking like, of the republic. I, I mean, I can understand if you really are in the tank for Donald Trump, finding ways to try to rationalize this, but taking joy in undercutting and just looking past the national security threat that was involved here and was part of this is is un-American to the core. It's also a good trick. And yeah. the, the trick being, by laughing about it, uh, I saw this last night, Donald Trump Jr., I saw just a clip because I'm not a big Hannity watcher, but he was on Hannity last night. And they were sort of laughing about, uh, well, if Donald, if Donald Trump Jr., if your name was Hunter Biden, wouldn't your life be a whole lot better? And he was like, yeah, I'd be great because then I'd be able to have my father. So it was remarkable to see someone with so much of a lack of you know, context <laughs> understanding and irony. But, but this is like, this is the gaslight president. This is, you know, from Donald what is Trump gaslight? to, to what, what is oh, you the don't, description? Oh, you don't, I, you know, you've heard I this don't. term and you don't, yeah, I've it's heard it a hundred good. times. Okay, so there was a, a movie, uh, I don't know whether it was Alfred Hitchcock or something in the, in the 30s, 40s, whatever, called Gaslight. And the idea behind the story was the husband wanted to drive his wife crazy so that he could 
locker room oh, or something like that. Okay. So what he would do, and this is takes place during the gaslight era of the turn of the, of the 20th century, he would slowly each night just turn down the lights slightly, turn down the gas a little bit. And she would start saying, oh, what's, it seems dark in here. And he'd say, you're, you're nuts. What are you talking about? It's, it's fine. And he'd sit there reading his paper. Oh, and each night man. it would get darker and darker. And he'd pretend like he's reading his paper, doing all these things like the light was just fine and driving her crazy. Uh, and that, so that's what gaslighting is all about is wow, like, like the reality is changing. But you keep saying, what do you, uh, no, there's nothing no, different there's no here. <laughs> this is why, so Donald Trump, Kellyanne Conway, that whole crew are exceptional experts at doing that this is i imagine not there are two other people at least who are going to be listening to our show or 200 of them it's a good who movie are going to say oh, all right but who are going to say oh that's what gaslighting is because i certainly maybe everyone else knew and i've just been no i don't i dark. think you're i think you're right I mean, i've this- just been i've just been in the dark yeah. oh there you go Oh no, I did. There's right. going to be more of that later. All right. Um, okay. Let's so move now on. <laughs> Let's move yeah. on. So, how it. wide should this go with the impeachment charges? Because some Republicans right now are declining comment, citing their juror role. Um, but here's Tim Scott just going for it, saying, "There's nothing that I saw in the transcript that was an impeachable offense. I find him to be innocent of an impeachable offense." What are your thoughts on that? So this is why I've been saying all along that I think this inquiry needs to go wider than just the Ukraine. Um, the Ukraine incident, because if it's just one incident, you can get people like Tim Scott who can just focus on that one thing and find rationales for why that isn't impeachable. And you and I would disagree, obviously, with him and saying even this just this one incident is. But this goes back to my I think my whole theory behind this is that Donald Trump came to office with the knowledge that he had contempt for the Constitution and that certain things were going to happen. And I think that you need a wider range of uh, impeachable charges, uh, articles of impeachment, so that even if you can knock off one of these incidents, you can't knock off another. And that's why I think it is important that we start hearing from the Oversight Committee and that we start hearing from the Foreign Affairs Committees and these other committees before it gets to the Judiciary Committee who will actually handle impeachment so that there is a range of activity there where you can say, well, if you can knock off that one, okay, fine. But how many times can you do that and rationalize your way out of this? I've been fighting you on this. Yes. Okay. I've been fighting you on this and saying that I don't think that that's wise because I think we need to just get right to it and get a vote in there and get on the record so they can get to the Senate before the Iowa caucuses, right? That was that was the – and because it's going to get too close to the election where people are going to say, let's let the election take care of this question, yay or nay. However, I sat yesterday with a group of very intelligent people, um, and they expressed – one of them, who is quite in the know, said there is a zero percent chance of – removal Mm -hmm. from the Senate. This is someone who spends quite a bit of time with senators. He said there is a zero chance. Now, I disagree with that. I think that if there is just overwhelming evidence and the, 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 the polls go from 48-46 to 68-32, which is not impossible, really, that, that that calculus could change. However, if it's not going to change, does it make some sense to actually stretch this process out for a longer period of time? Yeah, I, I, that's the political calculation. Yeah, that is the political calculation. I'm looking past the political cal- – I mean, I understand that. That is a political calculation. And, and if it continues to be new evidence, new evidence, and you're not actually having the vote on impeachment, but you keep turning up new stuff on Donald Trump as we get to the election, I think part of the political calculus is that the public will be so tired of Donald Trump that, that some people who really – are ambivalent about impeachment would just say, oh, let's get get him out of office so we can make this go Which is away. similar to what happened with Hillary right. Clinton, so that, frankly. That, right. 
so that's the strategy part of it. For me, I'm looking at this from the point of view of we've lost public trust in constitutional norms. Mm-hmm. How are we going to get that back? And I think if we have a short impeachment process, just not, not, it doesn't matter whether it's short or long. It's just if we have an impeachment process that focuses just, just on, on one thing and he gets off and that's, you know, we understand that that could happen. And then everybody goes about their merry way and doing what they did before. There's no price to be paid, not by Donald Trump, but by those who have led us down this path for the past 24 four years, 25 years. I think that's my problem, is that those folks who hold the levers of power that the republic uh, depends on, that Ben Franklin was talking about when he said the republic, if you, a republic, if you can keep it, he was talking to those people. If mm-hmm. the people in power understand that you need to exercise the levers of power and keep those separations of power uh, to make the public trust that the process works, but if you undermine the process just for short-term political partisan gain, and you have this short-term impeachment process and it just goes through and, and, and there's no price to pay, then they'll keep doing that. Look, we've now hit a point where it's not just one incident, is that everything's falling apart, that we really need to take a hard look at how we've been governing ourselves. And that includes not just the president who's been elected right now, but everybody who's been in Congress for decades who have led to this. Yeah, I, I hear you. Uh, the, the, the danger, though, becomes that the, the, it will just embroil everything for the next six months and it will throw the Democratic uh, primary. I don't care. Into, I don't well, care. OK, fair enough. I, I, I understand. And, and I'm not even I'm not suggesting that that is what Nancy Pelosi should do. That she should make it wider and let it go longer to attack Trump. Like I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that that may be a strategy that may be employed if the reality is that the Senate will never impeach him. And a new, a new uh, note came out this morning suggesting that Donald Trump is offering senators a lot of money from his huge chest um, to say, hey, if you're if you're gonna support me during this impeachment, I got tons of money that I can share with you to help you get reelected, which is shocking. And the truth of how things are, are being done right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's a, a, a great challenge. Would we call that a quid pro quo? Is that yeah, the term we would. that you would use for we that? We would. But, yeah. the, the, but, the, the, but it's, it's, in, it's not international. No, no. I mean, I, I understand. I mean, no, but it's, it's, all, it's all a quid pro quo. It's how he went about his business as a real estate developer. Um, that's how he did his, that's how he did deals. It's just not the way the United States government is supposed to work. And that's why it's, it's so very crucial at this time that the, the, the light is, sh- is shown. And I think that we're going to see that the light is going to shine really brightly. All right. I, I believe that. So what do you, what do you want to get out of this uh, public inquiry? So now that we have the official public inquiry that the house has endorsed, or at least the Democrats in the House have endorsed, and they right. create the majority, and so therefore it is now an official resolution. Uh, what do you hope to see next? I mean, you- well, what I'm what what I'm hoping is what we've seen heard from behind closed doors to see these witnesses who have spoken out come out and say publicly what they've said behind closed doors. That's given the Democrats this sort of push towards we got to do this and also you know to scare the republicans enough that they're never talking about what's actually going on they're really pushing against the process so if let's just take let's just take um vinman and mm-hmm. if vinman comes out and says all of the things it was what we were hoping would happen with the Mueller report when robert Mueller, you know and he he blocked himself from doing this he would not really speak out he wouldn't repeat anything that was said he would he asked the democratic uh 
senators to to speak on his behalf? Would you you read it for us? Would you you read it to hear the actual people say the actual words? I think could be very very powerful. Yeah, and and the, and these people are testifying, so they would they right. would say it. Yeah, well, and John Bolton Mueller. is coming on the seventh, mm-hmm. and that that could blow the doors wide open of the whole thing. So I, I have not lost complete hope that this could be very fruitful for our republic. In addition to this, so there's going to be a public inquiry, and we're still not sure exactly what the rules are. The, the Republicans had some objections to the resolution that was passed uh, earlier today, today, Thursday, uh, that it's not clear what the rules are. It's not clear how, when they're going to turn over this information to the Judiciary Committee, because remember, the Judiciary Committee is going to hold the final hearings on deciding on whether there's articles of impeachment. And again, my hope is, and we've talked about this many times, is that the vast majority of what is done in public is done by counsel rather than the members of the committee. Yeah. But it's also going to be more targeted because you don't need to go fishing. Like we said last week, you don't need to go fishing. The fish are already in the boat. You just got to pick them up and show it to the American people. And that's going to make a big difference in these. I think they're going to be less... uh, unwieldy. Uh, I also think that there are some witnesses who may not have been honest um, in the behind the scenes that now there is evidence of other people who are are saying, Mm -hmm. well, no, it didn't go that way. So now other people are going to have to admit the truth. Um, So it's it's uh, it's going to be quite a show. And I don't mean that like that it's just about, uh, you know, the, the entertainment value, because it's not. But it, we're going to be seeing our republic at stake on a daily basis. And watching, I, you know, I'm so crazy. I watched the rules conference meeting yesterday. I watched the whole thing. And, and you know, the, the Republicans are just trying to block everything and, and saying it's not fair. This isn't fair. Though one of their leaders in the House came up. I forgot who, I forgot who it was exactly. And he said, you know, some of these rules are kinder to President Trump than they were to Clinton and Nixon. Some of them are not as kind, but the reality is they're not the same, right? Right, yeah, and, I heard that. And, yeah. yeah, and the gentleman from Georgia, who I think is going to be the next senator from Georgia, I'm sorry, his name is escaping me right now, um, but they're, they're just going to fight it tooth and nail because they can't get into what's actually going on. All right, so we'll see. Yeah, all right, so let's move on to our hot take segment where we're going to have 90 seconds to discuss a specific topic or news item, and when you hear this sound, it's time to move on to the next topic. So what's the first topic? The Super PAC question, I'm going to bring it to you. Um, Two candidates this week opened them, um, Yang and Biden. Do you have any thoughts on that? Now, we have to be clear, they did not open the Super PACs. People opened the Super PACs on behalf of them but tacitly with them saying that they, not saying, but acknowledging that they were going to accept that help. Whereas other candidates have not, uh, have actually, Stuart said, do not do this on my behalf. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, Democrats, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, and the whole lot of them. Cory Booker, I don't think Cory Booker. Booker has a, has uh, a there actually, I think there is a PAC that actually was open for Cory Booker. Whether they've been raising money or not, this is the thing. They can, anybody can raise a PAC on behalf of a candidate. Um, I don't think they've been raising money, and they certainly uh, he's not been using them to coordinate. But it's I think the idea is that it's always sitting there in the background for some of these candidates in case they ever do need it. So Biden, this is the key, is Biden does need it. I think I think the idea that that this is is dirty money, dark money, whatever we can debate about that, and certainly that's what the other Democrats want to make out of this when they're appealing to de- the Democratic voters. But I think for Biden, it's an indication that he's having problems. 
Yeah, I mean, he's down to $9 million. On the 60 Minutes interview, I don't know if you caught that this past week, Biden was really being questioned by Nora O'Donnell, who does a fine job in, in, in that position uh, with, with his wife, with Jill Biden. And they were talking about the, the financial situation, and he basically said it, it's going to be okay. The best space for Joe Biden to be in is he, he was asked about his age, and he said, yes, with age comes experience, with experience comes wisdom, and I'm here, I'll set the country back on track. It was really his, his one of his better moments. Okay. Uh, Next up is um, this exchange that Cory Booker had with Meghan McCain on The View. And I I just thought it was interesting. So let's give a listen and and respond. But you do support mandatory gun buybacks. Now, when I heard you and Beto saying that, to me, that is like a left-wing fever dream. So my my point is this, and I'm not where where Beto is in in the way he's been talking about this issue. Good, he's crazy. Well, again, (laughs) we should watch the way we talk about each other. Seriously, we can't tear the character of people down. We have different beliefs. He has no problem doing it to me. I I mean, he was very nasty to me about this. But you and I both know that just because... what do you think of I mean, this is interesting how Booker tried to turn this question about guns, uh, using that opportunity to go back to his core message, mm-hmm. which is a great message. It's a beautiful message. It's just a challenging message to bring to America right now, which is in a fight. Yes. Yeah. Which is in a, a in a war um, and to sort of. It, it, it sort of it would be like the Democrats saying to the Republicans, OK, let's really talk about the process. You want to talk about the process. Let's discuss the process. It's like, no, I, I, we really can't talk about the process. Uh, w- what I found interesting, I appreciated uh, Cory Booker correcting her pronunciation of Beto's name. Um, but also, I, I wasn't sure that he wasn't he, he might not have been smarter to get right to the idea that he's not calling for mandatory buybacks. He's mm-hmm. he's asking for buybacks, which is different than Beto's. What I think is rather extreme, you know, coming to people's houses and saying, "Give me your AK," you know. Your, yeah, he went on. He weapons. went on for a longer time on trying to get back to his core message, and then she kept jumping in. Hey, uh, with all due respect, yeah, answer the question. Which on was guns. fair. The I thought that was fair. fair. Look, Although, I will say one thing about her, though, is that. Uh, Beto O'Rourke did not go after as bad as she said he did. No, and but but that's part of her brand at this point, and it's not. She's not useless. I mean, she has a place. Okay. Next up, a Twitter is banning political ads. What yeah, do you think of this came, one? That just came out last night. That that I think is could be a game changer if Facebook follows suit. Uh, we talked about that. Uh, I talked about that last week that Jeff right. Zucker said that if, uh, if if he was running Facebook based on what happened in 2016, that he just would not let political ads be on, be on the site. Jeff Zucker um, from CNN. Right. I'm sorry. Jeff Zucker from CNN. Uh, because people but, will com- confuse Jeff Zucker and Mark Z- Zuckerberg. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's right. Thank you. Fair enough. Fair enough. This, hey, listen, I didn't know what gaslighting was. Um, <laughs> so, so if Facebook actually takes that next step as well. Uh, I think it would be fantastic. I think it would be very helpful for for the country. W- what was your take on that? Well, I think I, I'm one from a business standpoint. That was an incredibly astute move on the part of Twitter, because they don't have many political ads. They don't make a lot of money out of political ads. <laughs> no, so the, so it was such really. a small. It was you know because people don't. Well, uh, wait a minute though. No, no, they don't. They li- they literally don't. They they looked into. Um, I, I read a, a few articles about looking okay. into their their funding stream, and very little of it is coming from political ads. So unlike Facebook, which makes a lot of money out of political ads, but. They don't make that much money on political ads. That's not why they're doing it. They make so much more money on everything else that they do. You know, I mean, Facebook does. As and Facebook, it, political ads are a significantly larger part of their funding stream than it is on Twitter by by gobs and gobs. Fair so, enough, but, but they don't but, need the money. Right. 
Yeah, no. I mean, if you look at, at it from a, a an absolute absolute amount of money that they need, you're right. But the, the pressure, as we said, the pressure that this puts on Facebook is. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Okay, now we're, our last one is you know a little 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 joy of ours. Let's just talk a little bit about Brexit on John Burkow's final day in the chair, which is today. Yeah, so John Burkow, the Speaker of the uh, House of Commons. Um, so Brexit, so they're going to have an election. They're going to have an election. They're going to have an election in December. So they got their extension from mm-hmm. uh, the EU until mm-hmm. the end of January. They will have an election. So now um, everything is up in the air. What I think is interesting about the the election process is it looks like the the Labor Party and the Conservative Party are going to try to squeeze out the Liberal Democrats out of the debates. So the leader of the Liberal Democrats won't be able to take part in the televised debates because both of them are afraid of the Liberal Democrats taking votes from them and but becoming... Why, that seems surprising. Why the wouldn't the changer? Conservatives... Why wouldn't the Conservatives want the Liberal Democrats to come in? Because you would think that the, they and Labor would be more closely aligned. And it but, would seem that... But they're not. They, the Liberal Democrats are kind of now... Have, have, have started to stake out their own path in such a way that they provide an alternative to the two establishment parties. And so they can appeal to that anti-establishment voter who wants just something new, something fresh. So it actually hurt both parties. So it makes sense that, not, that neither one of them wants, uh, wants this in. They want, a, they want a two-party, because both of them think they can win a two-party race. Well, I, I don't understand why the Labor Party has not decided to move Jeremy Corbyn to the side. Because it seems to me, and it'll be a good litmus test for us in America to get some taste of what it might be like if Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders were the the nominee of the Democratic Party. But go ahead, you got you got a little treat at the end. Uh, so anyway, so as you mentioned, it's it's John Burkow's uh, last uh, day in the chair, and uh, so we were looking around, and there was a tribute that you found for him on uh, John Oliver's show. Uh, this week tonight is that what it's called yeah i think so yeah all right and we'll take a listen a look back at speaker of the house of commons john burko who only ever wanted one thing order the house is very very overexcited order miss cherry this is very unseemly heckling order there's simply too much noise in the chamber order very rude for members order 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 You and Order. I could listen. You and I could listen to that for. Come on, there's another thirty and, and, seconds. Yeah, there to is. That. There's even and more I, to that. I really wanted the whole thing. Please listen. If you have not yet, if you're a listener to our show and you have not yet hopped over to YouTube and just put in John Burkow, just put in best of John Burkow. He is quite the character, and he will be desperately missed. And I'm curious to see how. And not, not just for the entertainment value. We should no, but point also, out. I mean, he yes. really set he, as Speaker of the of the Commons. He really felt that. His job was to make sure that the voice of those who were sitting on the back benches was heard in the process. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't and just, they just didn't get railroaded changed, by the leadership. He also changed completely how the, the chair was looked at. So often for so many de- uh, centuries, the, the Speaker of the House of Commons would wear a wig and would, you know, be, you know, just ostentatiously dressed to sort of, you know, the pomp and the circumstance of it all. And he really went against that. And he said, no, this is the people's house and I am a representative of the people. And I just, you know, I just, I, I love him. I will miss him. I'm sure that I'm going to be spending the next many years of my life going back and just watching old videos of him like I would go back and watch you know listen to the the albums of the Beatles 
Yeah. All right. So let's move on to our final segment, which is our guardian of the week. And this is someone who has put their own personal political fortunes to the side in service of uh, the greater good of preserving the republic. And this week? It is Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. No question. I mean, here's no. somebody, and, and, and considering the attacks that he went under after he... Uh, and he had to know he this. was going to have... Yes. He had to know he was going to have that. But that is a sign of bravery, uh, of, patri- of patriotism. And this is a time where when we see patriotism like that, it is to be... We, we need to honor it, and we need to use it as our role model moving forward as we're in this very most dangerous... One of the three most dangerous times in the history of our country, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, I think so. I, I agree. Yeah. All right. All hats off to Alexander Vindman. Indeed. And that's it for this week's edition of Guardians of the Republic. Make sure to subscribe to get the latest episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever podcast app you use. And by the way, when you're there, we'd really like you to give us a rating, a five rating, in fact. Uh, That'll help others to find us. Also, give us a review. We love to read the reviews as well. And check out our website at guardians-republic.com or on Twitter at guardiansotr. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back with a new episode next week. See ya.